Um, I was recently speaking to a gentleman who, you know, he went to Mess, um, and then from Mess he went to America, and then now he works with Microsoft, um, and he announces on LinkedIn, and the congratulations were like crazy, congrats, congrats, congrats. We're so proud of you. And I remember speaking to him about it. I was like, oh, you know, well done. Um, how's the new role going and whatnot? And he's like, it's going well. But what he finds funny is the people that he was knocking on their doors a few years ago to do business with ignored <laughs> him. And now they're the ones that are like, oh, we're so proud of you. We need to do something together. Hey guys, welcome to episode 12 of Open Conversations. I'm your host, Joseph. On today's episode, I welcome my guest, Fatima. So on today's show, me and Fatima talked a lot about entrepreneurship and business. We actually had a really good deep dive about the entrepreneurship space in Ghana and talked about also how sometimes if you actually want to get validated in Ghana, you got to get external validation from like an external brand or people before you actually noticed. So yeah, that was a really good topic when we discussed about that. Um, we also talked about podcasts. We talked about what podcasts we're listening to during this pandemic, also what TV shows and what, what books we're reading. So yeah, we had a good lengthy conversation about those topics and a lot more. So yeah, so just sit back, relax and enjoy this new episode. But it's all good. But yeah, but thanks for making the time anyway to come on. You know, oh, we've been no, trying to yeah, we've been trying to get it started, but work. Funny it happens. I always like have so much respect for people who have like blogs or YouTube accounts, channels, or podcasts, because it's it's a lot of work to do plus it's actually a full-time operation thing. So. Yeah. yeah, it's true. I mean, I think during this period, I've seen people do more webinars and stuff like that online. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm like, hmm, I wish I could attend or even do my own, but sometimes you're kind of limited. You can't do everything. You have to just exactly. Yeah, do one thing at a time and see, okay, let's, ha- let's see how it goes. Exactly. Yeah, but if people are, like, what do you do now? Like, I think it's hard to find out. I think you, I read your blog, right? Mm-hmm. about what you're mm-hmm. doing about you know reintroducing yourself and everything i remember you were mm-hmm. saying that nowadays when people ask you what you do it's kind of hard to say mm-hmm. exactly what you do but what would you say you do mm-hmm. um i think i'd say i essentially just create win-win partnerships between startups and corporate that's one element and then the second element is helping startups accelerate their businesses through access to funding, mentors, and best practices with a focus on African startups, of course. So do you have like a specific title or is this like you wear many hats? There is a title and the title I would guess, depending with the organization that I'm working with varies, with NPAC, the German accelerator that I work with, I'm a program manager. And with Mazuma, I'm a business development person, but you know, I think last week I had a conversation with a mentor and she told me to stop um, focusing on titles and focusing on the work that I do. Mm-hmm. So I leave with that now. So when people ask me what I do, I literally tell them what I physically do rather than saying, oh, this is the title that I have. 
That makes sense. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. but, but I also saw in your blog, you were saying something, especially at the beginning, you say something that you're getting over your imposter syndrome. Like, where did that mm -hmm. start? Like, how did that come about? Um, I think because I studied development and economics and international relations, I was going to end up working in that sphere. So it's going to either be the UN or World Bank or something along those lines. And that fits my profile. But then I ended up in tech and I kind of felt like, well, I didn't study anything technical. I didn't study software design. I'm not a graphic designer. And I also don't have core hard, like I don't have functional skills within tech. So I kind of felt like, uh, maybe this isn't really the industry of mine. I'm kind of learning as I go along. And I didn't really put too much value on the business side of tech. I just felt like tech is who's coding, who's building the algorithms and so forth. Mm -hmm. That makes sense because I remember, I mean, I was going to go into tech, but it was computer science specific. But then mm -hmm. I realized that I didn't like coding. So I just decided mm -hmm. to do business instead. Mm -hmm. It's a more, a more generalized thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where do you think the imposter syndrome does come from though? Is it because of the field you're in or? Um, I would typically say it's because of the field that I'm in, like outside of other fields, I'm pretty confident in my skills. Cause I feel like when you've studied something, at mm -hmm. least you know that, okay, I know the theory of this and I can practice it and so forth. When it isn't something that you've studied and you kind of feel like you stumble into it, then it can be a bit difficult, you know? Right. And then especially as a woman who works in tech, there's a lot of these things, oh, women in tech, women in tech. And when you do go to these conferences, they're typically talking about women who are software developers, women who are UX designers and so forth. So there really isn't a space for you as a woman who does business in tech. So then you feel more alienated. You're like, okay, then clearly mm. there isn't a space for me in this um, ecosystem. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, it's true. Cause I remember I do go to some of these conferences and to be honest, it is very like male dominated as far as, you know, mm -hmm. people in tech, because yeah, most developers tend to be male. Uh, most of the business people also tend to be male. So when you're in a room, you see, and you look around, it's like, where are all the females? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But do you think it's gotten better though? Because I remember maybe like maybe two, three years before that, maybe it was like a bit different. But now do you think it's a bit better or is it getting worse or is it getting better? Um, I think it's definitely getting better. So there are like a lot of online communities, which I guess have always been there. But I think with COVID, um, these communities are being brought to the forefront. Um, and they specifically focus on women who work in tech, but the business element of tech. So some of the communities are like Sisters in Tech, which is an American community of about 5,000 women. Um, and they have like women who have, you know, they have channels specifically for women who do like business development in tech. And then there's also another one called Alpha. And that was started by a lady who used to work with Y Combinator. And okay. she also has like, yeah, so there, there are different, different tools now, which is making it easier. And I think the other day, the way I thought about it was if someone is working, if, if a salesperson sells cars, they still work within the automobile industry, right? Yeah, so yeah. I think I just start seeing it like that now. Like now I can say I work within tech, whereas if you had asked me last year, I couldn't really say I work in tech. Hmm, that's interesting. 
Yeah, that is different. Yeah, yeah, it is getting a bit better from what I've seen. I'm seeing more like female-led like teams or female-led initiatives, mm-hmm. which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping it gets better later on, but I don't know it, because I'm st- it's still what like for instance, if I look at a, on a panel, for instance, and I look across, it's like, okay, I see way more men than I see more women. If I go to more mm-hmm. conferences, it's in the audience, it's way more men than women. I mean, it's mm-hmm. getting better, but still, it's it feels like it's moving mm-hmm. slowly when it should mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. a bit faster. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 100%, I think men are more, you know, I'm sure you've heard this thing, like mediocre white men, this whole yeah. phrase, but I think it also applies even to black men. Like, sometimes you go to panels and you see, you know, participants or those who are on the panel, and sometimes women have double the credentials, but men just have the confidence to mm-hmm. share what they're doing, even if it's not at the same scale as women. Whereas I find that with women, especially those in tech, they want to be perfect before they share what they're doing. Mm. You know, and I've come to learn that it's not really about being perfect. It's just continuously sharing what you're doing because you're adding value to an ecosystem. Right, so you're not going to be like a full package before you can come out and be like, This is the work that I do. I mean, people learn as much from the failures as from the success, but I think everybody's waiting to be their version of successful before they come out and share what they do. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Totally right. Well, I just hope it gets better because I'm, I'm tired of going to panels and just seeing all male people. Mm-hmm. To be honest. Mm-hmm. And I do think it's getting better. I mean, some panels, I'm not always a fan of it, but I've seen a few panels in Accra, especially they'll have like certain panels just for women. So like women in tech or women in this. And those ones I'm typically not a fan of. I'd rather just why not have a dialogue with it and then have a perspective by a woman, not necessarily a female tech person. You know, she works in tech and she happens to be a woman. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, hopefully it gets better. So, but I want to talk about your background for for a second, because I remember your blog, you said that, okay, you're from Gambia and you grew up in Denmark and also mm-hmm. moved between Copenhagen and Manchester. So I just want to know, like, what was that experience like, you know, especially, you know, we are living now, like, how was that experience from there, from there to now? Like, what was mm-hmm. that like? I think, so, like, as I stated, I was born and raised in Denmark, and I lived in Denmark until I was about 10, 11. And then I started going to Gambia every summer um, for about four years. And then I moved to the UK. So I think having lived in Gambia for like long periods of time, for like up to like six to eight months, coming to Ghana made it a little bit easier, but mm-hmm. it still was a culture shock. Like I was super ignorant, you know, I just assumed that, oh, I'm from West Africa, Ghana is also in West Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, our cultures are going to be similar. But when I came, I realized that they're quite different. And just before the COVID as well, I was in Gambia and that just reinforced like there, there are significant differences. I think even like the culture of doing business. I mean, I think Ooh. in Ghana, yeah. Ghanaian culture of doing business, as you know, is very different. Like, you know, there's a lot of politeness and salutations and proposals and, you know, going a bit back and forth, whereas in yeah. Gambia, people tend to be a bit more direct, 
mm-hmm. which I think if you were to take that same approach in Ghana here, it would be considered um, abrasive. And mm. I think it's the same in Denmark as well. Like I grew up in Denmark and did my master's there. My parents are still there. And the way business is done in Denmark as well compared to Ghana is completely different. So I guess that was the hardest part when it came to adjusting to Ghana was understanding the unwritten rules. Because I think there's a lot of guides on what the GDP looks like, what the economy, the economists are forecasting and so forth. But no one really tells you how culturally adjust here when it comes to business. And I think it's a learning process to be fair. Like you just have to go through it. It's not something that someone can necessarily teach you. Yeah, you're right. I mean, especially when you mentioned how different the culture is as far as business. I don't know, like I'm, I've always been a bit negative towards that culture because I feel like, I don't know, it feels like it just drags to the point where you're kind of unmotivated to continue because like even Nigeria, for instance, it's very, like you said, very direct, very straightforward. And people think it's abrasive if you come, if you bring that to Ghana, but it's like, no, you know, you're moving, you want to keep getting stuff done. Hundred percent. Because I remember when I first came to Ghana, people used to be like, "Ah, are you Nigerian? Are you Nigerian?" I used to be so offended. I used to be like, "Ah, what's wrong with these people? Like, why do I have to be Nigerian?" And then when I went to Nigeria, I was like, "Ah, I get it." Because mm-hmm. folks in like Lagos doesn't sleep. Like people are super fast. They're super quick, and they get to it. If I like it, great. If I don't like it, it's a no. Whereas here, I think people enjoy the dance, or the dance is just part of the culture. And it's not necessarily a good thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's something that you need to understand and know how to do if you want to do business here. That just, you know, because you can't change the culture. Like, you know, I'm coming in from nowhere. I've only been here for five years. And I'm now going to take on this job of saying that I'm going to change the way Ghanaian culture is done Mm -hmm. when it comes to business. I can't. I just have to adapt to it. Yeah, but do you think it will change eventually, especially with the whole COVID thing? Because nowadays people are trying to move faster now with their businesses. Do you think it will change? I don't know. I hope so, but I don't know. Because I also feel like with COVID now, what is happening, people are over-emailing and over-communicating. Like people Mm. having, they're setting up a Zoom call for everything. They're (laughs) setting up a Skype meeting for everything just to feel like they're doing work. And that also brings brought another set of like unnecessary processes like I could send you a proposal we could have a call within 15 minutes and get it over and done with but now you're like oh no let's have a zoom call send me an agenda and then let's do another zoom call so I I don't know I think it's just part of the culture here of doing business yeah yeah you're totally right yeah, I mean, I think I've, I've seen that whole example. I mean, before I was working where I'm working now, I used to do like consulting, like security consulting in IT. Mm-hmm. And I saw the whole process mm-hmm. where you're going back and forth, like, you mm-hmm. know, you send a proposal, it takes like months mm-hmm. before you hear back. Mm-hmm. And then when you mm-hmm. hear back, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, can you edit this part and that part? I'm like, mm-hmm. you could have finished this thing like mm-hmm. months mm-hmm. ago. Like, why is this mm-hmm. back and forth mm-hmm. process? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, like, what I've found is I just factor that now into, like, my plans. So it's, like, maybe if I'm going to, like, you know, start engaging a partner or a stakeholder for business, if it's going to take maybe one month, I will just forecast that this is going to take four months. Mm. You know, I'd rather over-forecast it, and then that way I'm not, like, getting frustrated. 
And then, you know, the things with people sending back documents and saying that edit this, edit that, edit this, edit that. I now make it a process where it's a collaborative process between me and the partner or the stakeholder. Right. So I'll send out a general skeleton and be like, hey, this is the direction in which we're going in. Please edit it or please give me feedback so that I can work on it rather than me handing it to the graphic designer, coming up with a proposal and then it being sent back to me. And then that slows down the process. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like people sometimes don't actually want to do the work. So you almost have to coerce them into doing the work. And if there's a Google Doc and I'm constantly calling you, you have to do it. Like an example is I'm currently working um, on an article with a governmental stakeholder. I've started this process since November of last year. Oh, wow. And we're still with, yeah, almost closer to a year than a month yes yeah, true you know and we're still going back and forth and this is like you like essentially they asked us to you know do a forecast on blockchain technology and the space in ghana um but majority of the work lays back on us even though you know it's that yeah, it sounds really, frustrating it, it, yeah it is frustrating, but it's also part of the process. So now I'm just like, okay, if things take eight months to one year, that's just how long it takes. And then in the meantime, you start other processes. So I feel like if you have, if you start maybe five or six engagements, one of them will finish while another one is starting. So technically, you're always doing something. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. That makes sense. So as far as like environments to work in, as far as, you know, going to different places, would you say like Ghana seems to be the most, I don't know, um, frustrating or not frustrating, but most unique, I think, as far as compared to maybe Gambia or UK or Denmark? For sure. Definitely. I do think it's, it's just a different set of, um, I guess, rules and guidelines to doing business here. Mm. It's possible, but, you know, it requires a lot of tenacity, patience, um, and foresight. Right. Oof. Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, we've both been through experiences, so I think we know what to expect when we're going to do business in Ghana. Yeah. yeah but I also think, like, part of it is as well is because sometimes things here move a little bit slow, Mm -hmm. If you are a person who's quite fast and you're tenacious and you move things, then things can move a bit faster, hmm. you know, or you have an advantage in the sense that most of, I wouldn't say your peers or most people in the space are not moving at the same speed that you are. Mm -hmm. There's like a big, like, you know, beginner's lock or first mover advantage that you would have here compared to Nigeria. Because in Nigeria, like everybody's running, everybody's sharp, everybody's fast. You sometimes have to like be on your game ten times more. True. As compared to here. That's very true, and I'm always thinking to myself that if those like people in Nigeria ever decide that they want to compete in Ghana, even though they may mm -hmm. the culture may be a bit different, I still think that they would mm -hmm. definitely have like a huge advantage because. I'm always mm -hmm. saying that businesses here are a bit laid back and the competition mm -hmm. is not as fierce like maybe in Lagos. So if mm -hmm. we do get competitors, it's going to be, it's going to be tough to compete, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I mean, you see that even like with, you know, ecosystem players like Mast. So I've been 
engage with Mass a few times. And when you see the Ghanaian entrepreneurs versus the Nigerian entrepreneurs mm-hmm. or the Kenyan entrepreneurs, there's a huge difference in the way they show up when they do their work. Right. You know, the Nigerian ones, they're doing mess, but then they're doing something on the side. They're hustling on the side as well. And then they're still trying to build their career outside of mess. Whereas the Ghanaian ones are pretty content with whatever mess feeds them. And mm-hmm. the Kenyan ones are also thinking about, okay, what's my, you know, life going to be after mess? And this is, you know, I'm, it's of course a generalization. It isn't the case all sure. the time, but majority that's, the trends that I typically tend to see. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I've also noticed that type of um, the differences because when I'm always comparing ecosystems across Africa, like to Kenya, to Nigeria and other countries, it's like, I think Ghana were okay, but I still see more movement from the other countries. Like Nigeria is like always moving constantly, Mm -hmm. constantly, Mm -hmm. always something's happening. Mm -hmm. Somebody's raising funds, somebody's expanding to another country Mm -hmm. that fast. Mm -hmm. But we're still, Mm -hmm. we're still growing here in Ghana, but Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. as fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 100%. And I think sometimes it's all because competition isn't that right. You know, I think if competition was super ripe, everybody would be on their toes. But, you know, it's like everybody's just doing something little on their side of the corner. And I sometimes find that Ghanaians are very content. So I feel like if a Ghana man is making one million, they're like, okay, I'm making one million. I have a comfortable life. I'm not going to, you know, kill myself and open up in a new market. (laughs) If a Nigerian is making a million, they're like, how can I make 10? Yep, true. Because even true. like with, you know, with small things like, I don't know, like Casa Prenko, which is a Ghanaian yeah. local brewery farm. I'm not exactly sure whether they're in Togo, but when I went to Togo, I didn't really see them have a presence in Togo. Yeah. And Togo is just like next door to Ghana or Ivory Coast per se, mm-hmm. you know, versus Nigerians. If Nigerians start a brand, they're going to try and think, okay, how can we spread it across the region, the continent, and then the world? Yeah. That is very accurate, especially with the Casapreco example. And like, because it's a very big brand here, but as mm-hmm. far as maybe mm-hmm. other countries, I'm not sure. Let's mm-hmm. check up on that and see. But yeah, you're right. Not a, yeah. yeah, totally right. Oh, also. The other day I learned something. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, no, I learned something interesting. I was talking to a Ghanaian um, guy who worked in investments, because he was startups, and he was mentioning what's happening now is the Nigerian diaspora in Silicon Valley, they're really the ones championing um, investments to be channeled into Nigeria. Oh. So I'm sure you've seen, like recently, there's been like maybe at least five to six Nigerian fintechs that are raising a good mm. sum of money. Yep, yep. You know, whereas in Ghana, there seems to be a disconnect between the diaspora and the fintech players or the startup players here. Yeah. Yeah, or sometimes it seems like, you know, when Ghanaians do go abroad, they typically just now focus on their little side of business and they don't really find a cohesive way to tie in what they're doing in Silicon Valley back to what's happening here on the yeah. local ground. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's just some people, but like, yeah, you're right. As far as like a whole like group of people, Nigerian diaspora definitely do that. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. most of them definitely channel more funds to Nigeria in the ecosystem there. So true. Mm-hmm. So true. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I don't know. 
I'm, well, I'm, I'm always investig investigating Ghana's tech ecosystem, but I see mm. way more way more movement in other ecosystems, and I was like, this, mm -hmm. is, this mm -hmm. is very fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, but I wanted to ask, um, before you came to Ghana, I think you said that in your post that you spent like six months in Tamale. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to ask, like, what was that experience like? Um, I loved it, and I just think it's a set context um, for the listeners. Tamale is in the northern part of Ghana, and it's significantly underdeveloped when compared to Accra. Mm -hmm. Like when I moved up there, I learned that they only got electricity, I think, in 1993. Mm -hmm. And Ghana had electricity in the 80s. Um, yeah. I think Tamale reminds me to always refer to Accra as Accra and not Accra as Ghana. Because mm. I sometimes feel like people use the capital to like generalize the country because the temperaments of northerners are completely different from southerners. So I found that in the north, people are a lot more friendly, they're a lot <laughs> more warm, they'll invite you to their house to like eat food with them. You know, the pace of life is different. Um, it's, it's just a whole different ecosystem. Um, but I do feel like there's a big expat community because a lot of NGOs set up in Tamale. Okay. Um, so that sometimes can make it a bit difficult. Like there aren't many people who are like you. So you end up being in these expat communities or you're in like the super local communities. So with the expats, you know, they're complaining about oh, the locals are so slow and you're looking at them like, excuse me. And then maybe with the locals, you might complain that, oh, I don't have access to internet. And they're mm -hmm. looking at you like, ah, you're spoiled, you know? So that was a bit of a challenge. But other than that, I really enjoyed my time there. Yeah. And, you know, and just FYI, I'm also from the North. So I, I totally understand what you're saying as far as, you know, the differences between mm. people from the North and the South. Yeah. Our pace of life is very different. Like where we are, like you said, we're way more friendly and we're way more calmer, I would say, than people from the South, mm -hmm. which is interesting. And yeah, the mm -hmm. development mm -hmm. too, yeah, it's it's unfortunately not as fast. I, w I wish it was because I, I do see where you can lay groundwork up, up in the North, where it can actually be very, very well done compared to Accra. Because even though Accra is like developing very fast, there's still some things that are missing or not as well done where you can see that, okay, the North, we can start building and make it better, make it like a crowd 2.0, I guess. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that was also like another thing. Like when I came to Accra, I was only here, I think, for three days before I went to Tamale. And when I met people, I was like, yeah, I'm going to Tamale to work with uh, Oxfam. They looked at me like, oh, well, you know, Northerners, they're so violent. They're going to be dark when you go there, blah, blah, blah. And when I got there, it was actually like, country to the opposite and I think that's one thing that shocked me about coming to Ghana like there is still underlying tribalism which yeah. isn't necessarily like exposed on the international scene because when I saw Ghana as someone who had never been here I was like oh this is like paradise it's like Nkurma's dream it's mm -hmm. every pan-African you know idea of a perfect nation and then when you come here you see so many fractures yeah um, which, you know, I get across Africa, there is tribalism, but the way that I've seen it here, you don't necessarily see that, like, say, in Senegal or in Gambia. Yeah. It's not on the same level. And there's, like, a lot of ignorance and, you know, 
especially when it comes to northerners, which I, I still wrap my head around till this day. Yeah, I know. I, I totally get it. It's, it's very weird. I don't know why it's still prevalent. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's, a, it's an education thing or just a lack of knowledge thing because everybody's yeah. maybe is in their bubble, so they don't necessarily um, inter interact with other groups. So maybe that's what's happening. Exactly. But what's your experience as a Christian Northerner? Because I know that most Northerners are Muslim, and I'm assuming that that aspect is also part of the stereotype that Southerners have about mm. Northern Muslims, about Northerners. Yeah, it's interesting because I mean, I think from where I'm from, most of the people there are like um, Roman Catholics. So yeah, they're mostly Christian. Wow. But we, we, yeah, but we get along with people who are Muslim too. I mean, it's like okay. living, you know, seamlessly together. So I, I mm. don't know why that is that or more violent or thing. I mean, if you look at local news, maybe you see a news item that says that there's violence in this part of the northern part of the country. And that's mm -hmm. uh, maybe like chieftaincy disputes and stuff, but it's not, mm -hmm. so it's not like it's always happening all the time. It happens mm -hmm. once and then, and then maybe it dies down. But then there's mm -hmm. also violence in the, in the South too, you know, there's always like mm -hmm. crimes here and there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why it gets painted that Northerners are violent. I think it's one of those stereotypes that does not doesn't, mm -hmm. doesn't die down for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it might be an education thing or a lack of knowledge thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, I think you were, you were touching on like, you know, how you, you experience in Ghana and what you're seeing as far as the society. Um, well, I want to get your take on like the year of return thing. I think that was a very interesting thing for me to see as far as <laughs> how people came, were kind of taking it in. But what was your take on it? I just want to hear it. I'll give you mine. Yeah, um, I do think like in terms of press and PR, great things were like great things happened. But I think there wasn't any clear call to action or next steps. So it's like, okay, yes, you've gotten all these tourists in, but how are you gonna continue getting them in once they've gone? And I heard like, yes, they've launched this beyond the return, but again, you know, it's investment. And if you're looking to invest in Ghana, we know that people are looking at 50,000 to 100,000. And what of the micro tourists, the students, like how can they get involved? So that I felt there was a missed opportunity I felt that a lot of the events were like heavily entertainment driven and not mm -hmm. necessarily like um, sustainably thought of. Like there wasn't any events on like tech. So again, like, you know, matchmaking um, tech players and um, introducing Ghanaian tech players to American tech players or American yeah. tech players to Ghanaian tech players and how can we forge partnerships so yeah. that after the year of return, we could have been working on something that started during the year of return. I feel like there was an opportunity missed there. That's one thing. And I also think another thing, some parts of America, like African-Americans, kind of co-opted the year of return. So yeah. Essence was in Ghana and they did like a show. And apparently yeah. majority of the people there weren't Ghanaians. Mm. You know, this well. wasn't the only event. So there was like a lot of events that were happening in Accra by African-Americans for African-Americans. So it just happened that oh, we're doing it in Ghana because that's the hotspot, but it's for us, by us. Right. You know, so, and that was a little bit uncomfortable to like watch, but I think in terms of money, like a lot of money was made like in the billion, but where is this money? Are we going to see it? Is it going to be like funneled into the presidential elections, which is coming up in December? I mean, there's just like so many like questions, you know, it would have been great to have a report that said, 
this was the amount of money that was made. These were the main events that happened and these are the next steps. But everything is so political and spoken in jargon that the ordinary person doesn't understand the benefit of that year of return. Because I remember speaking to like Uber drivers or just like local hospitality practitioners and they had no idea that the year of return was happening up until a week before the event. You know, like even in terms of billboards, like I remember two weeks before, you know, people were coming in, there still weren't any billboards that was saying that this is the year of return or there wasn't even a billboard with perhaps a timetable of all the events that were happening. Mm. Yeah. The execution yeah. kind of fell off a bit for me. I, I'd love to hear what you also have to Yeah, I, I totally agree with most of what you said as far as, you know, how is some some of the events were kind of co-opted and stuff because I think for me, one thing that I, I wasn't really happy about was how most of the stuff was focused in Accra because that's mm-hmm. like because Accra is like where everybody comes. But mm. I just felt that you know if it's your return and people are coming back home, you need to expand and say, okay, we're going to organize trips to go to the northern side of Ghana and do some historical tours because there's a lot of tourism up north and it's kind of being forgotten about. Like what happens is that people come down here and the first thing to do is they want to go to Cape Coast and go see the castle. Mm-hmm. I mean, the castle is a good tourism attraction, but mm-hmm. it's not the only thing that's there. There's a lot of other stuff as far as historical um, places. You can go to Kumasi and see that place as well, or you can go to the Northern region also as well. And I just thought that those places were kind of ignored. So I just felt like most of the focus is too much on Accra. And like you said, entertainment, that was, that was also a highlight. We were just so happy when we got so many of the American celebrities coming down, taking pictures and all that. But it's mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. This, is not, this is not what it should be about. And like you mm-hmm. said, the, the local people, like well, what's the advantage for them? Like, mm-hmm. Is the money gonna be funneled to them? Is money gonna be funneled towards like more tourist attractions and stuff to build like more tourist um, facilities in other parts of the country? So yeah, I was, I was, I don't know, I just, I was kind of, I don't know, I just like, I just shrugged my shoulder to be honest. I was like, I think it's great that, you know, focus on Ghana and like the money's coming in, but I don't know, I just felt like it's not really the year return. I just feel like people are just coming back and having fun and partying. Yeah, it was kind of like an Ibiza, but just in, you know, in Accra or Magalok, like, you know, the cheap holidays that, students and young people do in the UK when they're going to like Spanish towns. That's how it kind of like felt like to me on one element. And then the other element was just this whole Nouveau Ridge and the elites Mm -hmm. tapping in to the Americans um, abroad. I I, I don't know. I think I'm still, you know, it's, it's only been a year. It hasn't been a year yet. So we're still analyzing and seeing if anything tangible has come out of the year of return, but I, I haven't seen anything remarkable. Yeah, me neither. And I think my level of cynicism is a bit high, so I'm not really looking forward to, oh, something big is going to come out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, may, maybe, maybe if there was no COVID, and maybe the yeah. year, maybe this coming year, end of the year, maybe we get more, maybe I'll, there'll be more fleshed out plans, maybe. Exactly. But I don't know. I don't know. Doesn't feel doesn't didn't feel right to me actually. No, no. I know a lot of locals who actually said they're not participating because 
it actually ended up excluding locals. So I remember places like Sky Bar, mm -hmm. which is like a really uh, posh um, bar here in Accra. I think it's on like the eighth floor of Villaggio, which is like in the middle of the city. They were charging in dollars. And I'm yeah. like, you're in Ghana and you're charging in dollars, which tends to happen typically anyway, but to do this in the year of return season wasn't really fair. And then like they had a minimum payment of $150. Wow. Like if you're not spending more than $150, you cannot come in or you cannot, you know, you have to spend this amount. What are you doing to the locals? You know, yeah. so the locals go about doing all the hard work, gearing up the event, and then they get caught out of it. You know, and place people like Chalewate, you know, I don't know whether they got any financial support from the government, but Chalewate really started getting people to look into Ghana prior to the year of event. Yeah. Prior to the year of return. Because for the past three years, they've been like, you know, dragging people in and bringing like attention to Ghana's culture and art. Mm -hmm. And then they get sidelined for something like Afrochella, which is not Afrochella, the other one, um, Afronation, Afro which is something yeah. people didn't talk about. Like, I didn't also get that. Like, Afrochella also put in a lot of work to, like, you know, raise Ghana's profile internationally in terms of culture. And then the government supports Afronation with a five-year plan. Yeah, that was so weird. That's born and bred here. You know, like, it's always it's so hard to understand the government's strategy. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny because I don't know, I have this, I don't know if it's a theory, but I, I'm always saying that the locals here, they don't get as much support as they should from their peers or, you know, government or whoever. But what tends mm -hmm. to happen is that when they take their talent and they move out of the country, they go to mm -hmm. Nigeria, they go to mm -hmm. other countries, US, Europe, they tend mm -hmm. to kind of really excel. Mm -hmm. And then they get the attention from their local peers here, which I always find to be kind of, I don't know, I know it's hypocritical in a way. It's like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they were here, they were trying to do their best and you never supported them. But then when they went outside yeah. and they got support, now you want to kind of claim them in a way. All the time, all the time, all the time. And I think maybe perhaps that's why the Ghanaians who do choose to, you know, move to the state to move to Nigeria once they move, they aren't heavily associated with, the Accra tech ecosystem because when mm -hmm. they were here they didn't really get the support they needed and um, I was recently speaking to a gentleman who you know he went to MEST um, and then from MEST he went to America and then now he works with Microsoft um, and he announces on LinkedIn and the congratulations were like crazy congrats 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 mm -hmm. we're so proud of you and I remember speaking to him about it I was like oh you know well done um, how's the new role going and whatnot. And he's like, it's going well. But what he finds funny is the people that he was knocking on their doors a few years ago to do business with ignored <laughs> him. And now they're the ones that are like, oh, we're so proud of you. We need to do something together. And I think, wow. it'd be, I don't know whether it's a slavery thing, but it's still like, we only see our people, especially in tech, once they've been validated by outsiders. That's very true. That is very true. It, it always gets me. I don't know. It always gets me. I'm like, why does this person or this company needs to get a sh needs to get a shine from outside, get outside validation before we say, oh, you're doing really good. We're happy for you. We're proud of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I saw the same with, you know, the Ghanaian fintech company that I worked with. Once they got, you know, accoladed in Forbes, you should have seen the way local media picked it up mm -hmm. and then 
you know, a lot of people that we're trying to do business with were now jumping to do business with us when before they weren't. It's like, we don't believe in our own tech solutions or even just like artists or producers or whatever it yeah. is. And that's why I don't, how do you move forward with that? You know, we're constantly buying for the validation of outsiders and we're not validating each other. Yeah, I mean, that's so, that's very true. It's, in fact, I think that we can even talk about this. I know you like, you work with like Amari, right? And I'm mm-hmm. all, especially with the creative industry, I'm always like mm. kind of sad for the creative industry in a way because mm-hmm. there's, a, there's so much talent, local talent here, and lots of mm-hmm. really good people. But again, mm-hmm. as far as the local support, it's just not there until mm-hmm. maybe they get picked up like by BET or by mm-hmm. news media, you know, mm-hmm. and so wherever. Then they, everybody starts to be proud of them. And it's so like, yo, you have really good talent. You support them locally before they make it big. Why do you need to make it big before you support them? Exactly. I, I just, I don't know what it is. I think then it's, it's almost like we love everything that comes from America. And yeah. if it's gone out, then it means that it's validated. Americans like it. It means it's legit. But if America or the West hasn't put their seal of approval on it, it's not as legit. And so I, I find that I'm seeing that a lot of Ghanaians now just don't um, see Ghana as a market that they are, you know, committed in trying to capture. Like they'll typically say, I'm based in Ghana, but my business is international. Yeah. yeah. You know, I happen to be a tech company that is Ghanaian because they find that they get more uptake from Nigeria or South Africa. And I find the same with the startups that I work with. Mm-hmm. Whenever I travel with them and go to like South Africa or Nigeria, the you know the reception and mm. the interest is way higher compared to here and they're ready to do business like you know you talk, this is what i'm doing oh charlie we need to like link up tomorrow tomorrow whereas in ghana my god like <laughs> slow 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 yeah oh yeah I, i'm totally because i have a friend who does work for he work he's a co-founder of a startup and he's like in ghana grind it's a grind just to try to get business but once he went to like south africa as you said the reception he got was, it was like open. People were so interested in the mm-hmm. product and they went into work immediately. It's like, wow. <laughs> it's like, it's like night and day. It's like, wow, Ghana is like, it's hard to get anybody to open their doors. But in like other countries, people are just willing, like open arms, ready to work with you. Yeah. But I do think there is like an advantage a little bit in it. It's like, at least in Ghana, because it allows you to refine your pitch constantly. Because, you know, in Ghana, you sometimes have to pitch like 20 times before someone understands what you're talking about. So by the mm-hmm. time you go to Nigeria or you go to South Africa mm-hmm. or even the UK, you've spoken about your business so much. Yeah. Um, and you've answered all the questions that people have. By the time you're put into other markets, it's easier for you to, you know, like roll over from there, I guess. Yeah, true. I think sometimes Ghana is like a gauntlet. Like you have to go through the hard times and everything. But once you get out... Uh, mm-hmm. it gets a bit more easier because you've gone through the hard times and now you just have to, you're more perfected now. You kind of package yourself a bit better. So now you can actually have more advantage outside. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I want to talk about like, um, so apart from business stuff that we've been talking about for the past couple of minutes, I want to talk about the social life in Ghana compared to mm-hmm. maybe Cambia or whatever. I'm always saying that especially in Accra, we tend to have a very um, limited lifestyle as far as in mm. our social life. 
Right now, we say that most of the things that happen in the crowd, mostly bars and, um, you know, entertainment sometimes, but not as big. And mm -hmm. we're kind of limited. Like, what is, what is your experience with social life? How has that been for you? Yeah, um, I would say I really, really struggle, like, socially in Accra, and I'm a social butterfly. I think it took me, like, two years or three years to, like, really find my tribe and come in myself because like you said um the social life here can be quite limited to you know bars or these garden parties or I, it, it just comes across very artificial most of the time you know mm -hmm. and it's quite elitist and quite classist so people are not talking to each other but you're at a networking yeah. event and people are just talking to the friends that they network with <laughs> yeah. but on the same side of the coin there is a lot so you know you have Places like Ahaspora, which is a um, network for returnees who came back to Ghana. And they have like monthly happy hours. So at least, you know, you can find someone who just came to Ghana as well. So right. that's, you know, that's great. Um, you have things like Aqua Goods Market, where you can find locally sourced uh, made in Ghana items, which when compared to like, say, Gambia, we don't have as many events in that way. Right. And a good friend of mine as well, she's Randiz, and she lives here as well, and she says the same thing. In Kigali, we don't have as many events mm -hmm. as we have in Accra. And then when it comes to, like, you know, if you're into reading, I love reading, there's book clubs. So, you know, Accra does have a lot of things. I just think these other things, you have to find it. It's not something that is, like, promoted as heavy, but yeah. they are there. Yeah, I think I agree with that. There's a lot of hidden gems, which don't tend mm -hmm. to get like as popular as the other like big event, like entertainment and stuff. That's mm -hmm. true. That's true. But what, but apart from like, what has your social life been as far as meeting people and networking? Has it been good like, as far as meeting, you know, business people, reading people, read people who read, like, has it been good for you? Okay, so I think I'll take it from two perspectives. So when it comes to like just friends, I think I was quite lucky. So the first day actually that I got to Ghana, um, I was staying at a, I can't remember where it was. I think it was somewhere in Accra. And I met this girl, she came from, I think University of Michigan to do a project with Coca-Cola. And she okay. had a Ghanaian friend that she met at AOU. And she's like, okay. oh, you know, you should meet him. I'm going back to America tomorrow. I think you guys will kick it off. And he's into entrepreneurship. So mm -hmm. he was like, actually, there's an event at GIS, Ghana International School on entrepreneurship for women. I think you'd be interested in it. So mm -hmm. I followed. And that's where I met um, the founders of Mazuma, the guys that I work with today. So okay. I essentially met them the first day that I got here. I mean, we didn't speak for six months, but I met majority of people in that way. You know, I was quite open. Um, you know, hey, this is who I am. I'm new to the country. This is what I like. And people are quite receptive to that. Also, before coming into Ghana, what I was doing was I was scouting different Instagrams. And if I found someone's Instagram interesting, I'd be like, hi, I'm coming to Ghana next week. And I'd love to do coffee and hear more about the city. Mm -hmm. And a few people reached out to me that way and, and that was useful. But I think once you get here, you come to understand that I think a lot of the other Africans that I hang around with, we always say that Ghanaians are very nice, but that's all they are. It's nice. Like you don't know them beyond yeah. the niceness. That's true. You know, for me, it's weird, like how you can know a Ghanaian for like three years and they won't ask you to come over for dinner. 
Whereas in Gambia, it's like the opposite. Like you meet me today and then tomorrow they're like, oh, come over for dinner with the family. You know, like Ghanaians are very reserved at the same time. So how do you get beyond the surface? Yeah, that's true. I think you're like, you're most like the second or third person to say that perspective because it's funny because even though I'm like introverted and stuff, I still tend to like kind of want to like be, go out sometimes and interact. And as you said, mm-hmm. Ghanaians are very reserved. Like, I don't know what it is. What, what, I, what I have seen is that sometimes when they're around their group of friends, they tend to just mm-hmm. be around a group of friends. They don't interact outside of the social bubble. They don't open up until maybe you happen to maybe meet them one-on-one and then talk to them and find out who they are. And then they open up a bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. a crowd tends to be very social-centric, like social-circle-centric. Mm-hmm. Um, as far mm-hmm. as nobody reaches out to each other, everybody stays in their bubble, and that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And that also like goes over to business. So like you know, everybody also works in silos rather than collaborating. Yeah, that's one. Of, that's one of the things which I'm always disappointed about because I I always see like synergy between maybe company A and company B, and I'm always wondering why are these two working with each other because they seem to have a good fit. So how come they're always by themselves? Yeah. And I think in terms of business networking, you know, when I came here, I understood that you need a strong network. It's not like mm-hmm. Denmark where it's what you do that merits you. Like here, I mean, it's the same everywhere, you know, networking everywhere you need a network. But I think in Africa specifically, it's even more highlighted. It's really who you know. Yeah. And here I come. I don't know anybody. I didn't go to school. And school networks in this country are strong. You know, like mm-hmm. what school you went to can really help your business so i was like okay let me go to all these networking events and these conferences and to be honest i got nothing out of them i Hmm. really really didn't get much out of them because people are going and they're just like talking in jargon or a facade and i was like this is nonsense whenever i went to conferences the best connection that i made were with fellow foreigners surprisingly Yeah. So I was like, hey, this is not going to work for me. So how am I going to get into this Ghana? So <laughs> I, you know, found mentors, like Ghanaian women, and they started, you know, coaching me how to get into society in terms of business, and that helped a lot. And so I'm part of a network called Executive Women's Network, um, and that's super helpful. So it's like a group of exec women and then associates. So I'm an associate and then like other women. And then that's helpful in terms of maybe if I want to do business with Vodafone, I know that the CEO of Vodafone is on that platform. I can mm-hmm. introduce myself. Hi, I'm Fatima. I'm also part of EWN and, and I'd love to you know, quickly pick your brain on X, Y, and Z. And they'll more, or less, they'll more or less give you time as you're someone from that network. Yeah, the network thing is very yeah crucial here in Ghana. It's true because if you it's like you said, it's all about who you know. Because if you're in Ghana, it's hard to get in the room unless you know somebody who can help you get in that room. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like you also just have to barge that door open. I remember there was a time I was, you know, pitching a product um, mainly towards banks, and I didn't know anybody to like help me open that door. And I just finessed my way. I just you know linked them in. And if they didn't respond on LinkedIn, I literally just went to their office and I was like, hi, um, I emailed your boss and about this, this and that. I'd like to have a quick five minute chat with him. 
And surprisingly, I think because the names are very reserved, when you come across that strong, they kind of like, they're like, oh, okay, and then they let you in. Yeah, you know, that's true. After actually, that strategy has helped me a couple of times because sometimes I'm trying to talk to a certain business and it's like, I can't get through because I emailed them, try to talk to somebody and it never works mm-hmm. until I mm-hmm. physically go to the office. Mm-hmm. Say, Hi, my name is so-and-so. I want to, I'd like to have a meeting with this person if possible. Mm-hmm. And if he's there, I get a meeting and we go from there. But yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's weird. Like you said, canyons are reserved and I don't know hard to approach sometimes and maybe you do physical force at work sometimes but yeah mm-hmm. it's 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 interesting interesting yeah so what other um, aspects of your social life are kind of open? have you like are you have you ever been actively dating in ghana like have you had any experiences good bad experiences not really i think because the way it works in Gambia, Gambia is super small and everybody knows everybody. I've mm-hmm. seen so many stories here where, you know, people come with an agenda, they mm-hmm. get into a relationship and then that, like, I don't know how to say it, like it, it deviates them from their mission. And like you said, Ghana is small and everybody knows everybody. And if you're here on like a business purpose, not that you shouldn't date, but it can interact. Like it can almost like overlap like your dating life now overlaps with your professional life and then it gets messy. And as you're not a Ghanaian, you don't have um, necessarily like a social net to fall into. Yeah. Yeah, it's so very, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, so I've just been like, you know what, just focus on your books, I guess, as people would say, focus on your book, do your work and get on with it. That's true, yeah. Or just like hang out with your friends or just, you know, be social with them instead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a yeah. I'll say our our social life here is fascinating. You know, I'm always intrigued by it as far as how people interact and everything else. Exactly. Well, that's good. So, so you're are you here? You're here like permanently, right? You're not moving anywhere. Your life is now here. I would say more or less. Like I'm super. I, I wouldn't say I'm scared of commitment. I. I I like I'm getting clammy thinking about answering. Am I here permanently? <laughs> yes or no? I really don't know. I just say I'm here until it make, until it doesn't make sense anymore. Oh. You know, like prior to coming to Ghana, I was like super Mrs. Plan your life five years in advance and everything happens the way you plan for it to happen. And then I came to Ghana and everything the way I planned for everything to happen, it happened in the opposite direction. So mm. I was like, you know, set your intention, let go and let the universe just like dictate your course. I think there's beauty in it. You know, I'm just like, I'm here, I enjoy it. But if an opportunity presents somewhere else, that also makes sense. I wouldn't shut myself to it. Yeah, I think that's a a good plan to go by. Because I remember, like you said, I used to be used to be a a big planner. Like, okay, let me plan for everything. I think that's the older Mm. I've gotten. I'm like, whatever comes my way, if I see it's advantageous to me, I will go for it. And just like, mm-hmm. I'll, you like use a pros and cons and see, okay, does it fit what I'm doing? If yes, great, I'll take that opportunity. If no, then I'll just stick to what I'm doing at the moment. Exactly. But yeah, future plans. Yeah, I mean, whatever happens, happens. I mean, like I said, it's a whole new ball game. Whatever happens, whatever comes your way, you just take it as it is. And we're in a new normal, so I feel like you just like we're, we almost have to like start 
from scratch again, you know, reimagining a new future, what does it look like? And trying to just take every day as it comes because otherwise you just overwhelm yourself because you can make all these plans. Like I had so many travel plans this year. Mm-hmm. And look, they're just, we're, we're now stuck in our car. I can't do anything about it. What I can plan and I know I can influence is what am I going to eat when I break my fast? Or, <laughs> you know, how am I going to do my hair by myself because you can't go to the salon. Now. So I just yeah. try to focus on the small, small micro thing that I know that I can influence and then the rest I'm just like telling let me just take it as it comes. True, true. So if, if COVID were to like disappear, like maybe maybe down the line, like where would you where would you travel to? Like what's one place you want you want to travel to? Um, I was supposed to go to Berlin for work because um, the accelerator I work with is a German one. So we're mm-hmm. supposed to have like a boot camp with our entrepreneurs in Berlin. And then we're supposed to have another one in Egypt in December um, alongside Rise Up. I don't know if they've heard of Rise Up before. I think I have. Yeah, it's like one of the biggest um, conferences for tech in the MENA region. So yeah, North Africa yeah. and the Middle East. Yeah. So I was supposed to do that. Um, and then I also really, really wanted to visit Ivory Coast. It's just around the corner. Mm-hmm. I've never been because mm-hmm. of my crappy French. But, <laughs> you know, that's somewhere I want to go. I think definitely being in Ghana has made me travel more on the continent oh. than I ever did when I was outside even though it's crazy expensive but yeah yeah it is, it is weird how crazy expensive to travel within africa right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like it's cheaper for me to go back to denmark and then fly from denmark to gambia mm. compared to ghana to gambia and ghana to gambia is two hours bear in mind mm. <laughs> that's so weird <laughs> yeah I guess there isn't enough demand and, you know, there isn't enough competition. So yeah, I mean, operators that, can just yeah. charge what they want. I mean, they're trying to do that whole, um, what is that thing? Is the African Trade Conference? I've forgotten the name. That AFTA or something. Yeah, yeah. African yeah. Trade yeah. yeah, maybe maybe that might help. I mean, trying to maybe make Africa feel more like trade with, with each other. So maybe more flights may become available, maybe more cheaper. I hope so, but you know, like, I'm not a pessimist, but I like to like, you know, look at things as realistic as possible. And mm-hmm. I don't know what that policy agreement is going to like result in the next five years, because I mean, look at the ECOWAS, like the ECOWAS currency. Yeah, yeah. We've been talking about it now for 15 years. Yeah. Nothing has really come out of it. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I remember that goes, I mean, I was a kid when I remember that whole echo mm-hmm, currency. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. now I'm older and it hasn't come through. So, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Okay. So, um, what is the rest of your day or week looking like? Is it all work, work? I think because it's the quarantine thing, I just fill myself with work so that the days go fast. If that makes sense. Or if it's not work, it's still maybe like a personal development goal, you know, learning how to do the basics of HTML or relearning digital marketing, just like beefing up my skills. Um, mm. I think that's typically how I spend my time or reading um, or I go to visit an aunt of mine during the weekend mm-hmm. um, because it's Ramadan and it's always nice to break your fast with people, but it's pretty much monotonous, you know, but <laughs> I think... Yeah. The day goes fast at least. True. 
So I have a question. If you weren't doing business, what else would you be doing? Apart from, you know, if you didn't go to business school or, or in tech, what else would you be doing instead? I'd probably either have the tea shop or, no, actually, I know, I'd have a cafe and, you know, you could buy tea, books, and plants. These are like my passions. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I love all things, I love all things tea. Like, we're big tea drinkers in Gambia, actually. Mm. Um, I like plants. They look cute. Um, you know, I love being around nature and I love books, especially books written by Africans or just non-Western books I find super interesting because I feel like we are constantly forced this, you know, Eurocentric narrative. So it's always great to see what authors in China are saying or Afghanistan or Kenya. So yeah, I'd love to have like a bookstore with, you know, books from around the world. The other world, not the Western world. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, I, I wish there were more books or yeah, more books talking about, you know, like our community as far as tech or in business. You know, like, mm -hmm. okay, like pick a business that's been thriving here. Like what, like how mm -hmm. the Casa Preco start? If somebody wrote a book about that, mm -hmm. that would be fascinating mm -hmm. from the Ghanaian mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah, you're totally mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I think some, I went to a bookstore yesterday, actually. So there's a bookstore in Laboni, which is like a, I guess, a bougie area in Ghana. Um, <laughs> and I went and it was super beautiful. Like, it's like glass ceiling from floor to ceiling. I've been meaning I don't to know go there. Seen it. I've been meaning to go there called, actually. Yeah. It's called it's nice. called Vidya, I think. Exactly, Vidya. Started by a Indian Ghanaian. Okay. Um, and she has books, and you know she has like a lot of um, top selling books, new books, and she says she gets shipment every three weeks prior to COVID. Ooh. And she can still like order you books even though the shipping is ridiculous. Um, mm. But yeah, I went to that bookstore yesterday and it was super nice. And I saw a book by Sangu Delhi. And then mm -hmm. I think he wrote about entrepreneurship in Africa. Yeah, and yeah. then Lucy Quist as well also wrote about entrepreneurship in Africa, which were in the bookstore. So it was super nice to see Ghanaian authors in the bookstore who are talking about tech and entrepreneurship. Yeah, we definitely need more of those. Actually, we yeah, have this local perspective mm -hmm. as far as like tech and entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what, what are you currently reading right now? Um, I'm reading the 21st Lessons for the 21st Century by Yuval Harari. It's a bit depressing, especially reading it in the current situation because it talks about AI, you know, taking over workforce. But not as dramatic, but it still talks about AI. Um, it's talking about how liberalism is dead and that's why Trump and the far right in Europe is taking over. You know, it's really, really interesting. It's like if you're into history and politics and economics, then it's a really good read. Are you, are you um, listening to any podcasts right now? Yes, with podcasts, I listen to, I can't remember his name, but He's a guy that talks about high performance um, habits. I don't know if you've heard of him. Hmm. I think, I think I it's Brian something. I'll find it and I'll send you the information. But he has a good podcast, basically, on what makes people high performance and how to become successful practically. So I think a lot of times we're told, read this book and you'll become successful. Watch this guy and you become successful. Whereas hmm. this guy tells you the habits to 
incorporate into your day to day. Thank you very much. And then there's an yeah, it's really good. And then there's another podcast called "What Would My Strength Say," which is also really good. So it's basically two psychologists and therapists, and they answer a question, um, basically on why do we overthink or why do we um, read people mind, why do we read people's minds and the dangers of it. Mm, that sounds like another interesting thing. Yeah. yeah. How about yourself? What have you been listening to and reading um, this season? So it's funny, I'm, I'm back on my reading mode because I mean, I had books, mm-hmm. but I wasn't reading as much. But now that I have, mm-hmm. I guess, more free time, uh, I, picked, I picked books up. Um, so I've, I re- recently read this book. Um, it's called um, Day One. And it's talking, mm-hmm. it talks about how like companies like Amazon, Facebook are had this culture within their companies about always being a startup and always looking for the next best thing. So how, and how basically mm. they continue being so dominant. And it was very fascinating. Mm. So I read about Amazon's culture, I read about Facebook's culture, Apple's culture, Microsoft's new culture. It was really interesting. It was like, oh, this makes, lo- makes, makes a lot of sense about what they're doing. Mm. So whenever I see news about Facebook or any other company, I'm like, oh, I understand their culture. So this is why they're doing what they're doing. Mm. It's interesting. That makes sense. Yeah. And I also just finished reading this book about um, Instagram. It's called No Filter um, by a journalist called Sarah something. Can't remember her last name. Uh-huh. But that was good. I mean, it, was, it talked about the founders of Instagram and how they built their products and how they eventually sold to Facebook. And it's really fascinating. It, like, it really gives you this background about how Silicon Valley works in a way. And it's really mm. fascinating. And it's kind of interesting how you see what they want Instagram to be like to how it is today. Mm. And it's like, oh, I see how they kind of veered off or became how big they are. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah. I think those are, sounds interesting. Especially the no filter one. I think I've seen it around and I've seen like some good um, buzz around it. So I'll definitely add that to my list. Yeah, it's it's definitely an easy read. Very good. I mean, I I love the background reading about how things came to be. Mm-hmm. And now I'm reading this book about um, generalists, people who are basically mm-hmm. who do multiple things at once or just have different um, focuses or interests, how they're kind of successful in life compared to people who specialize. Yeah, I mean, that was very fascinating. We talked about Tiger Woods. I was Woods. just telling myself this morning, I was like, I think I need to specialize because I'm too much of a generalist. No, that's a, it's a good thing to be a generalist, apparently, according to the book, because if, you're a, if you are a generalist, what happens is that you build skills in other areas, so which you can mm-hmm. actually apply later to whatever you're doing at the current time, which is uh, very true. That makes sense. That makes yeah, it's sense. really good. It's really good. I mean, it's funny because yeah. I, it, it, the first chapter talks about Tiger Woods. Like you imagine mm-hmm. Tiger Woods is always like, just so golf focused but actually mm-hmm. when he was growing up he did like all types of sports you know he did swimming basketball tennis other stuff but now he's wow. like the, one of the best golfers in the world so yeah that was interesting wow. and it's called what's the name of the book again um i have to check and give it to you but yeah but yeah just talk about i'll definitely send that link to you it's interesting um, and podcasts, um, I'm just listening to different podcasts. I'm list- I just recently listened to one podcast called um, How's It Going? 
with Esther. Mm. It's a basically it's basically um, a podcast about a therapist who gives couple te- couple counseling. Ah, uh, Esther Peel. Yes, that's who she is. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Nigerian men love her. Have you heard about that? Yes, I have. Yeah, Nigerian men love her because they think she's excusing cheating, which she's actually not. But yeah. Yeah, just, I guess I mean, they're the, not reading beyond the headline. Yes, exactly. That's why it's, it's fascinating to it's because it's a it's a, gives you this psychological read on people how why they're doing the, what they're doing and it's always interesting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the last episode I listened to was about a couple in Nigeria, like the guy's Nigerian, oh. the guy's Nigerian, the woman was is American, he was American, she's white, and they moved from the U.S to Nigeria mm-hmm. because he wanted to start a new career in Nigeria. But because of the COVID lockdown, like they're stuck. Like they had a chance wow. to evacuate, but for whatever reason, they decided to stay put. And it's, it was really interesting to see how their relationship was coping because of this whole thing. So yeah, that's actually a good podcast to listen to. Okay, I've heard a lot about um, her podcast. My friend is reading her book. I think it's about infidelity or something about going beyond infidelity. Um, yeah. There was even a podcast where there was a couple who had some infidelity issues. And that was very, mm-hmm. like, it really gave me a really good perspective on why somebody might cheat in a mm-hmm. relationship. It was like, it's not just on the surface, it's actually way more deeper than that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's what I'm currently doing. Apart from work, you know, reading and just catching up the podcast. Yeah. Are you a TV person? I do love my TV, but I find that because of everything that I'm doing, I don't have as much time for my Netflix, which is really sad. Yeah. Um, but I'm working. I'm watching The Circle. I don't know if you've heard of it. Is that a movie? Oh no, is that the TV show? Yeah, the TV show. But uh, I'm watching yeah. the French version because I'm trying to like learn out like I'm trying to revise my French a bit but I'm watching the French version which is interesting but I came across this super interesting Netflix show I think it's interesting anyway I think it's called Unorthodox it follows the lives of Hasidic Jews yeah I actually have that on my list but I haven't watched it yet yeah that looks good I'm gonna get into that soon awesome great great, great. how about yourself um so yeah same with you is i'm finding it hard to like catch up to tv shows it's it's hard because of the work and everything um usually i try to make weekends to catch up to shows but it's hard but i did start this interesting um show called trial by media so it's like a documentary it just takes different well-known um events that happened as far as like court cases and just gives a background on what happened like i just recently watched yeah because um, the, like the first episode was one about a guy who went on a TV show and after the TV show he committed murder. So it's kind of talking what? about, yeah, so it was, it was fascinating how the media kind of spanned that story and, you know, the TV producers, everything is it's really fascinating. Mm-hmm. The last episode I watched was kind of sad because it talked about Amadou Diallo. Um, he was a... Oh my God. He, yeah, it was... The really, guy that was killed? Yeah, it was one of, like so far the most emotional episode I've watched. It was really sad. <laughs> I cannot take trauma anymore. I think I was telling Nikki yeah, like, the other day, like I, I can't. Yeah, you, you know, know, like I feel like it can sit with you it and can. it can be on you and it can like 
you know, affect your day and we're already going through so much, like, ah, oh, I can't. Yeah, so I w if anybody wants to watch that, I would suggest you maybe skip that episode if you're not too emotional. Mm. It's very, it's very sad. It's very sad. So yeah, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, it's so far it's a good show. It just gives a background of the, how media stories get spun out and how it gets played in court and everything else. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 But trying to catch up to shows is hard. I mean, it's, it's, because most of the time it's just work, mostly work and you just have, don't have time to watch shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all good though. It's all good. And it'll be interesting to see Netflix as well. You know, they're set up in Nigeria. I don't know exactly what this means in terms of content. I was reading an article by um, Steers Nigeria, and they talked about um, Netflix coming to Nigeria and what it means for Nollywood. And again, like what we're talking about before, you know, the savior of, you know, validation from the West means that mm -hmm. now Nollywood is being seen. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of that. Like, you know, it was basically saying that creative shouldn't hinge their, um, I guess, you know, their talent or their product just on this Netflix coming to Nigeria. Because True. prior to Netflix, Nigerians are doing things. So yeah. why is it that Netflix is coming now and everyone is trying to buy to get into Netflix? Mm -hmm.